This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Future State. Hello and welcome to the Batman Universe comic podcast, Future State number two of four. I'm your host, Ian, and with me I have... This is Steph. And this is Theo. And today we are recording our reviews and commentary on the next Batman number two, including the backup stories Batgirls and Gotham City Sirens, and Dark Detective number two including backup Red Hood story. First, we'll get into a little bit of comic news. Uh, we had solicitations drop for the month of April, so three months out, as usual, and we had some cool new titles announced. The first one is called The Next Batman, Second Son, and that's a digital first, um, and then it's going to have um, print releases by John Ridley, who, of course, is writing the current next Batman title. And this is going to be a prequel series telling how Tim Fox, or Jace, as he is called sometimes, although we still don't know why, becomes the next Batman. And he, of course, is the second son of the Fox family, Luke Fox being the first son. He's going to have a variety of artists like most of DC's digital first titles. Any thoughts on that, fellow co-hosts? I'm excited. Um it should be pretty good, and it it's a relief. I kind of thought this was all we were getting in Future State, and it's not bad, but you literally don't know why this guy is Batman. <laughs> so I'm very glad they're they're doing it justice and and coming out with a full story. Yeah, um, I'm 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 with Steph. I'm I'm excited about about this. Uh, I know Ian mentioned him in the name Jace. But I think we're going to see a little bit more about why he may have picked up that name as well, seeing that this this is supposed to be a prequel. So perhaps we'll we'll see that at that point. It, it, it makes me wonder whether or not this is the rest of the 5G story we're getting or if this is something that's brand new. But I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the 5G angle and trying to get as much of that out as possible. But I'm excited for it. I think this is the right move. I'm still quite annoyed that this isn't what they did to start with. I feel like we should have gotten this story starting in September of last year, and we could have gotten excited, and we would have been, this is who Tim is, and this is, or Jace, or whatever. We would actually know what his name is and why he's called that. Like, I, I am excited about things because I know things about them, and I want to lo know more. I don't like this thing where they're like, well, there's a new Batman. He's probably a Fox family member, but... We're not saying his name. And then we drop the news that Tim is a Fox family member again. So I'm excited. I'm just still also annoyed that this is how they're doing it instead of telling the story in a way that I think would organically get people excited. But this is the way to go. 
So even if I think it's backwards, I think this is a good plan. And my co-hosts are going to uh, have much excitement about the next title that was announced, which is uh, Robin, uh, written by Josh Williamson, illustrated by Gleb Melenkov, who is illustrating the backup with Josh Williamson uh, for Damien's story. And as far as we can tell, Damien is going to be Robin. I know some people are disagreeing because they're not seeing Damien is Robin in the solicits, but it's called Robin. Damien is the only member of the Bat family that we're seeing highlighted. Uh, So what do you all think about that? I am too excited for words. I'm I'm very, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm happy. (laughs) I am actually going to withhold judgment. First of all, of course, I can not ever not want a Damien book, but I am going to withhold judgment to see how the backup stories look first. And, and, And that's nothing against Joshua Williamson, but it's just lately DC has had a problem with really presenting Damien and you know everyone who knows me knows that I've only cared to see one person or one team uh characterize Damien that being uh Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason so uh, I'm gonna withhold judgment still excited for the book but uh, I, I will withhold judgment on everything else I think this is a good choice. I'm a little concerned because I think Williamson's a pretty good writer, but I worry about his voice for the characters. He's featuring uh, Ravager, Rose Wilson, the daughter of Deathstroke, and a character who looks like Deathstroke but is not Deathstroke, according to Williamson on Twitter. Um, The first arc is supposed to be a kind of tournament, which some people are very excited about. Some people are annoyed about because Lady Shiva and Cassandra Cain aren't in the arc, although Williamson did say they would mention the character. So I think that's a good note that he's aware of that. Gleb Melnikov is an artist I first noticed doing a digital first issue of Superman Man of Tomorrow earlier last year. And I really liked that art. It looked a lot like Victor Bogdanovich or Greg Capullo has that same sort of spiky, sketchy look and a really square-jawed faces. And so I think that's a very appealing style. We'll see if he's got enough time. Some of his He's done some of the backups for the future state issues, and they feel really rushed. Um, I do feel like, despite the fact that they clearly had a lot of lead time for future state, some of the art teams were very rushed, which is odd. Didn't Williamson also mention that Maya might show up at some point in time, too? Yes, he did. Which I am very excited about. Yeah, me too. I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed those two as a team. Absolutely. The next title announced is Batman: The Dark Knight, which is a future story written by Tom Taylor. Uh, it's a miniseries. I think seven issues. Written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Andy Kubert, inked by Sandra Hope, and colored by Brad Anderson. So just phenomenal art team there. This is the third future Batman story we're getting, though. We've got Bat Cat by king and clay man then we have the next batman by ridley um and now we have taylor doing batman the dark knight what do you think about this overwhelming number of future batman stories well i mean yeah kind of but at the same time like there's only if you're gonna tell a non-canon story you can set it whenever you want and so the Batcat story is kind of all over the gambit it's past present and future and t- Taylor can write Batman any day of the week as far as I 
care. <laughs> like, I don't care when he writes Batman. I think it'll be awesome. And and I don't know anything about the other one, but it's fine. I mean, whatever. This, if, if they were all written at the same time, we'd be bored with that, too. So I, I think it's great. Yeah, back in the day, I was I was lobbying for uh, Tom Taylor to take over Detective once Tomasi's run was done. So you know, having him on a on a Batman book is a okay with me. I'm okay with it being a future book. I actually think future titles, you know, books um, being set in the future probably are easier easier to write um, simply because, you know, that that future isn't guaranteed to happen. And as we know with the DC universe, sometimes the past doesn't either. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm okay with this. I think, I, I think the, I think the future books just make it a little bit easier because you can, you're a little bit more free to, to write the, the outcome of the story. If you you know, with the, unless you're, which you can't always do when, you know, writing some type of prequel or something of that nature. So I'm, I'm okay with this. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Tom Taylor. I think that this will be a very exciting sort of action packed story with some dark, I mean, it's dark night. So have some dark overtones and probably some social commentary, which seems to be one of Tom Taylor's things. I don't really enjoy his social commentary, so I'm not looking forward to that. But um, I'm the art team alone is definitely something I'm going to check out. So we'll definitely have something to talk about, definitely. Um, and sort of running counter to what I was saying about all the future titles, we have Batman Scooby-Doo, which is traveling back in time to year one in another mashup. This is, co uh, I think it's a digital anthology, which will also get some printed ones. Um, that's going to be co-written by Sholly Fish, who did a lot of the previous um, Batman, uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoon mashups, um, including the Birds of Prey Scooby-Doo gang crossover, which I really liked. I thought that was really well done. We probably won't be covering this on the cast, but I thought it was fun and went counter to the trend I was noticing about future titles. Uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, I don't care for Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not all that interested yeah i'm i'm likely to pass on this one we also have print announcements for several digital titles uh challenge of the super sons is going to start releasing in april harley black white and red will receive a hardcover print with a bonus story um so those are fun for collectors who want to get the hard copies of their stories um we have some news about the next backup series. Uh, Batman will start a Ghost Maker backup story written by James Tynan IV. And Detective Comics will have a Huntress backup story written by Mariko Tamaki, who's also writing the main story, uh, with artist Clayton Henry, while Dan Mora does the main story arc. And I really kind of came over onto the side of Ghost Maker in the last issue of uh, Ghost Stories, um, just before... Uh, future state started up so i'm excited about that backup and i'm a huge huntress fan so i'm very excited she's getting a backup in dark detective number three 
coming next month, written by Matthew Rosenberg and drawn by Carmine D. Gian Domenico. And then she'll have this backup in Detective Comics. And that will very much tempt me to get Detective Comics because I usually just stick to one or two titles in the Bat Universe. But this will probably tempt me, especially since I don't have a Batgirls title to buy, DC. Any thoughts about our backups? I, for one, am, am quite excited about the Huntress backup. Mariko Tamaki is. She's doing some work. She's been quite busy because I believe she got a. She has a either a mini series that's coming out on the Marvel side as well. So she's she's putting some work in. I got to give her her props. And the last bit of news we have, kind of a lot, but that's what happens when you have solicit- solicitations drop, is that we're getting second printings for many titles in Future State, including. The Bat Family titles, so Next Batman, Dark Detective, and Robin Eternal, which was I, I was very excited about because I was hoping that that would get some love. Um, that was definitely my favorite title of the last couple of weeks. Um, they're getting these cool second printing covers. So DC's usually done this thing where they'll have the main cover, but they'll color it all red for their second printings, and I don't like that. So I'm really happy to see that they're doing sort of designer covers. So Jorge Jimenez was doing these things where he had like a full-length profile of a character and then various sketches of their costumes or little scenarios that they're in as sort of a design concept for alternative covers. And these second printing covers are going to have the same thing, full length and then details of the costume done by the main artist of the book. And I think that's just really cool. Um, I really like the main covers of these these books. They're very painted, look very high-tech and sort of cyberpunk. But these designer things are added value. So, I mean, I'm I'm honestly kind of tempted to get the uh, second printing of Robin Eternal just because it is such a cool cover. But we'll see if I feel like it when it actually comes out. But if you weren't able to grab especially something like Dark Detective or Next Batman because those sold out at my store, a second printing could be good news if you just want to get caught up on the series. So those are coming. Keep your eyes peeled for that. It makes me wonder what, what the print, the initial print count on the first printings were. That, that it day. was kind of low. Okay. So they they printed a little low because there wasn't a whole lot of extra orders. But whatever the case is, I think it's always good to have second printings because it means people actually want more of these titles, want to be caught up on the stories, want to have them in their collections. I wonder if stores were a little gun-shy from previous events that turned out to be a bit of a slog. <laughs> they, they absolutely were a little gun-shy. I mean, I was talking – I've been talking to my – uh, store owner and the main um, selling employee, and they they talk about how there's just a lot of uncertainty and and hesitance mm-hmm. on the customer side. But when they got there, you know, people were interested. People got some word of mouth. People heard about it on the internet, and they came in and bought it. So, I think that's all good. And they are all good. Like even the ones that I don't love are still very enjoyable. Well, we'll we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that this this time because we have <laughs> some ups and downs. Um, but to get straight into that, let's start a review of the next Wait, Batman. I got I got I got to do a birthday wish. I got to do a birthday wish. We have to do a birthday wish. You're correct. Uh, oh no! No, we don't. T- yes, t- yes, we do. Today, the no, day is my good friend Cassandra Kane's birthday, so we have ah. to wish Cassandra Kane a very happy birthday. Happy birthday, Cassandra, and also to anyone else whose birthday it might happen to be. On Cassandra's birthday, you're a lucky person. 
I think uh, we shall definitely have some Cassandra Kane related thoughts. We'll see uh, how positive they are, but they're all positive <laughs> towards the character from all of us. Definitely. All right. So let's get into our reviews, starting with the next Batman, number two. Story one, the next Batman. Written by John Ridley, art by Laura Braga. Batman arrives at the scene of a murder and inspects the evidence before him. After reviewing video surveillance of the event, Batman is confronted by magistrate foot soldiers looking to take him out. He disposes of his adversaries right as reinforcements arrive. Batman doesn't have the same amount of success, and as he makes his escape, he takes a bullet to his side. As he speeds off on the cycle, he calls a contact and asks for assistance in analyzing the video of the recent murder. As the call ends, he drops the phone to the ground, knowing that it's no longer useful to him. At Gotham City Hall, Tanya Fox is meeting with Mayor Nakano. She is trying to convince the mayor that his anti-max shoot-on-sight shoot law won't stand up to a true legal challenge. The mayor wants to hear nothing of this and stresses that Tanya's job is to ensure that the law passes muster. He questions her commitment to his plan for making Gotham safer. She questions the need for the peacekeepers and their firepower. Nakano suggests that Tanya speaks to her husband, since all of the magistrates' weaponry comes from Fox Tech. In an empty cargo container along the docks, Batman nurses his gunshot wounds, questioning his ability to handle his war with the magistrate. He reaches out to his contact again, who tells him that there's no info on the murdered victim named Jafreski from earlier. He does, however, know the location of the people responsible. The contact sends the coordinates to Tim, who takes off to find the murderers. At the scene of the earlier murder, GCPD comb over the evidence while magistrate troops investigate Batman's presence there. They offer no assistance to the police and promptly leave when they receive word of Batman's whereabouts. In another part of Gotham, the two responsible for the murder walk down a dark street, hooded and still carrying murder weapons. They find themselves face-to-face -face with Batman. One quickly charges the Dark Knight. Batman quickly gains the advantage over the assailant before the other hooded person, or female, gives up and begs Batman to stop. They admit to the killing. They accuse the dead victim of being a child predator who coaxed their daughter to meet with him, where he murdered her. After the police failed to bring any justice, they found someone on the dark web who would help them plan their next move. Once it was done, they had to disappear for good. Batman had to understand what they were going through. They had to have justice for their daughter. But Batman was the last person they needed to worry about. The magistrate has arrived. We didn't really talk about this um, last week, partly because the comic played kind of coy with the identity of the next Batman. But here we have a direct revelation that it is indeed Tim Fox, or Jace as he calls himself. What do you think he brings to the role of Batman? One thing I really kind of liked about this, it was... Uh... Uh, oh, what's it called? I guess non-omniscient, pre very present tense narration. So, like, he'll do stuff like uh, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but he's expressing things as he's as he's feeling them at the time. So it can change, or or suddenly it's different. And so I do like that voice. I do like that he does seem a little unsure of himself, but overall he's just really determined to do the right thing. 
So I I like him. Like he is he's a little bit of a of like a new Batman type character, but I still think he's I I am enjoying him. He's not Bruce, but that's okay. He's not. And and Tim seems to be a good guy. Yeah, he's he, he he's not Bruce. I I see a little of Bruce, but not too much. Um he's still he's still unsure of himself and we we've seen that now in both issues where he's kind of guessing himself in certain aspects uh but once he, he he's very determined you know he he he's very determined and he understands himself to be who he is uh when he's not second guessing himself so when he's in that determined mode he he goes all out and i think his past considering what we'll get when second sons come out will kind of make him more understandable. Um, again, not to take that away from Bruce who, who camouflaged himself on the street, but I think we'll see that Jace's time away from the rest of the Fox family will, will give him a, a, bit of experience uh, that Bruce never had uh, during his time of training and, and becoming Batman. So I, I like Jace. I, I, I like, I like how he's being characterized right now. I think I still think of him as Tim Fox, just because we don't know why he calls himself Jace. And I think that name just doesn't feel right. Um, which is part of why I'm frustrated that we don't get to know his backstory until after his main story is over in the future. But I think we get a sense of a Batman who's a bit more connected to the life of the city, even though Batman, you know, Gotham is always his city. He always says that he lives on the outskirts of town, although James Tynan is changing that, so that might actually change how Bruce uh, feels when he is talking about crime. Now, Tim comes from a very wealthy family, but he does, of course, have the fact that he's African-American that sets him apart from Bruce Wayne. So far, uh, because his entire face is covered to prevent facial recognition, that hasn't affected any of the people that he's saving. Like, no one knows that he is a, a black man. And I kind of wish they would... I, I hope that we get more of this in the um, in the Second Son miniseries. Because that, I think, is a rich avenue of exploration. But right now, I just feel like there's so much we don't know. And that's kind of the theme I keep returning to in reviewing this next Batman title. Is There's so much I don't know. It's a perfectly fine title, but I... I would like to know more, and I think that it's kind of holding me back from being able to really figure out the the power of Tim Fox slash Jace as Batman. How plausible and defensible are the government's actions with its shoot-on sites and other arrangements? Because we see people we know have good intentions involved, like Nakano we know has some integrity and good intentions from the Detective Comics art by Peter Tomasi. The Fox family seems to be somewhat on board with the government, especially Tanya, the mother. But of course, a shoot-on-site order, I think most people would say, 
is very questionable. So does this feel like a nuanced picture of a complicated moral situation or does it kind of feel like a black and white Star Wars, the Empire versus the Rebels, where it's, you know, a black and white moral situation? What do you guys think? Well, I mean, it's somebody's morals. (laughs) I think there's weird considering all of their own people are masked whatever <laughs> hypocritical it definitely it's it it's i think it's a messy journey to get there i mean you can kind of see it as a, a totalitarian gestapo kind of culture they've got there so it definitely is messy to get there but you have to have some kind of buy in i mean People have to hand you that kind of power. You have to trick them or or whatever you got to do to get there. But then once you're there, it's kind of game over for everybody. So I think it is a black and white, but it's it's not a real black and white. It's somebody's black and white. And, and I don't think, I mean, you don't even really see that many civilians in these comics. I mean, they're probably all at home <laughs> hiding. They probably don't want to go outside. So I think it's definitely... A really steep price to pay for whatever unforgivable crimes they think the masks have done. I, I, I kind of feel for the people of Gotham. I mean, you first, you know, you, you get no man's land. You can't cross the bridge. All the bridges have been blown up, and you know now you 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 know basically have a city of martial law where. If you commit a crime or, you know, you wear a mask, you're you're as good as dead. And I I, I feel for the Gothamites. Um if if anything, it it it, it makes me wonder what's going to happen um, once we get the story, you know, whether it's in Second Son or, or somewhere else down the line to drive Nakano to get to this point, you know, so, you know, something happened to him, you know, and I mean, I, I know it's still early in the future state, but we haven't seen his wife yet. Uh, so it makes me wonder if something happened between uh, where we left off with, with Tomasi's run on detective and where we are now to set this thing in motion. You know, there's always been an anti-vigilante edict in in Gotham uh, that's kind of been ignored, you know, because of Batman and and Gordon's relationship. Yeah, uh, uh, makes me wonder what the Gothamites would prefer, uh, living living cut off in no man's land or or dealing with this. We kind of get the sense that they're not liking this right now. Yeah, and we'll get a lot more of that when we look at the backup for Dark Detective. Um, But right now, we see a lot of desperate people. But I'm curious what the quote-unquote normal citizen of Gotham's life is like. So we'll have to keep our eyes peeled for that as we keep reading. Um, Do you think that the vigilante justice, like the two criminals that Tim finds, the ones who killed the man who they believe killed their daughter... Uh, do you think their actions are acceptable? That's so rough because because their feelings are completely valid. But this is not true justice. This is not blind justice. This is them 
thinking they have the right guy because there is I mean I would say there's still reasonable doubt I mean like they said he didn't really ever leave that much evidence so I don't think it's right for the people the not the perpetrators the opposite of that (laughs) the people who have been wronged to be doling out the justice um they will never think of that or it would be unlikely for them to think clearly enough to 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 dole out true justice. So in their case, I would say no. But when your government doesn't care or isn't doing anything about it and is too busy on a stupid quest to get rid of masked people and like they don't care about the normal people anymore, then, I mean, you just feel like you're between a rock and a hard place. Like, what are you going to do? So um, I can completely empathize and it would be hard pressed to think I might do something. I mean, I guess I wouldn't murder. <laughs> I wouldn't murder, no matter how angry I was. But I can completely understand their feelings, and it is hard to disagree with them. The one thing that that holds me back on completely siding with the with the with the couple. Uh, you know, as Steph mentioned, is the fact of reasonable doubt. I mean, we saw no evidence. They didn't truly have evidence, it, but somehow they just figured it, it was this guy. Um, and they doled out, you know, their their form of justice. Um, so without knowing the truth as to whether or not um, – he was actually responsible for the death of their daughter, you know, which we don't know if that's the case either, because there was no mention of a body being found. Um, Now I'm a little bit up in the air, Uh, but vigilante justice that may lead to the death of a criminal. I mean, that's, we see that in the comics all the time. You can't be a fan of the Punisher if you're not okay with, something like that happening. I mean, we, we, we see it in, in a bunch of books. So I'm, I'm okay with that. But in this case, I'm a little hesitant seeing that we don't know the full story yet. Well, and I think that's a great point about the Punisher. I think that most of us who like superhero comics, and I call Batman a superhero, even though he doesn't have superpowers, like the idea of people who look at a system that whether it's a mostly functional system like Metropolis in the Superman comics or if it's a really dysfunctional system like Gotham in the Batman comics, every system needs help from ordinary citizens. And the idea of a system that requires someone to go out and be you know, a costumed hero is exciting for us because there's, there's a lot of injustices that – slip through the cracks, or we feel they slip through the cracks. I don't know statistics, so I don't want to make a definitive statement that a lot of criminals get away. I don't think that's true. I could be wrong, but I I just haven't studied that. However, I think we should remember that this is a Batman comic, and Batman is very much about trying to walk the line between being a vigilante and uh, working with the uh, official authorities, because Batman doesn't want to rule Gotham. And I think that if he started killing people, even people like the Joker who really deserve to be killed and really won't change, he's making a statement that Gotham is his city in a fundamental sense. 
when Batman says, this is my city, it means this is a city that I want to make better. If Batman started killing, it would mean this is a city that I have the right of life and death over those who live here. And I think that's a very different thing. And I don't want a Batman who thinks that way. So I really appreciate Tim Fox's dilemma here that he's faced with. And I hope that he walks a careful line with these these two people because it's sympathetic. But I, I think that making societal judgments based solely on sympathy, especially when there's really extreme negative consequences like decreasing of stigma against violence in general by non-sanctioned actors, I think we have to be really careful about that. And he's clearly questioning, you know, whether or not I, I, I need to let these people go because he thinks back into something he himself experienced. So, you know, he's he's unsure of himself. And I think that's part of the comic I liked the the best is actually that very last part when he's taken aback. He thinks he knows the right thing to do. Then he gets a bit of the backstory. He he gets more information, which is what a court of law should be doing. And And, you know, suddenly it isn't black and white. And I think that's one reason that it's so great that Batman doesn't kill. I mean, he isn't judge, jury, and executioner, or judge, duty, and executioner, as some people say. But uh, no, if it was John Paul, John Paul Valley. <laughs> yeah, Avatar had it coming, man. <laughs> but no, I, I I like that he's able to stop and listen, and you know, be open to more information. Last question about next Batman number two. We had a switch of artists. Nick Darrington still provided the breakdown. So he did paneling and basic storytelling, but the finishes or final pencils were done by Laura Braga. What did you think about this shift in art and um, how did you think the quality went? I'll be honest. I didn't pay close enough attention to notice there was a change, but I thought it was great. She did great or the artist did a great job and I thought it looked, I thought it looked really good. Yeah, I, I I did pay attention to it, and I did I honestly did not see that much difference between issue one and issue two. I truly enjoyed uh, Braga's art on here, but I didn't notice I didn't notice that much difference between you know what what she did and what Derrickson did in in issue one, and, and you know maybe. Part of that is because he provided the breakdowns for it. No, but it was okay. I really enjoyed it. I was honestly really disappointed because I love Nick Darrington's art, have loved it since uh, he did the miniseries with Brian Bendis, Batman Universe. He has such a clean line and a really appealing sense of shape. He's very much in the school of Darwin Cook. And Laura Braga is much blockier. Her figures just don't have the same grace or, or – fluid sense of motion and so even though the storytelling it has the same uh, dexterity because nick darrington is providing the storytelling the actual figures just don't feel as graceful and that that is disappointing it is certainly not bad art but it's sort of like if you have you know a jim lee comic and then philip tan comes in and does the second issue um, because you know jim lee can't keep a regular schedule anymore Philip Tan is a perfectly good artist. There's nothing I have to say that I think Philip Tan is a bad artist. But Jim Lee is an A-list artist for a reason. He's got such a sense of style and line and detail and shading. Like There's so many elements of skill he puts into his paintings and his, his drawings that have just a pyrotechnics about them that Philip Tan is just good. Uh, not bad, certainly, at all. 
Uh, and I would say that Nick Darrington has a similar sense of pyrotechnics, just skill layered upon skill, whereas Laura Braga has a very high skill. But it's not the same just really marvelous art that I got in the first issue. So I I was disappointed, especially because this was a miniseries, and I I was really hoping that Darrington, because it was a miniseries, would have the time to create all the art for it. But it looks like they didn't give him quite enough time to do the whole thing. Or possibly they couldn't pay him enough, because uh, A-list artists do cost a lot more. So... That, yeah, that, and that's going to always be the problem when you when you do have a list artists or even writers, you know, on books. And I think we're going to see it once we get back to the main runs with Dan Moore being on Detective. You know how how long before we get a fill in, and how often will we get a fill in before we get official word that he's no longer you know the main main artist? I mean, we just. That's the nature of the beast. You know, if, if I ever hear of a Jim Lee being on a book, I know it's going to be just for a few issues, if that, considering his status. You know, so uh, it's 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 the nature of the beast, in my opinion. All right. So we're going to move on to our second story, um, Batgirls number one. Batgirls, written by Vida Ayala, art by Anike. A new inmate arrives at the magistrate detention facility. To everyone's surprise, the new resident is Cassandra Kane. The facility warden offers her a deal if she turns over detail of the resistance whereabout. Cass doesn't utter a word. Perhaps she'll have a change of mind after one night with her new cellmate, Stephanie Brown. Cass isn't happy to see her former partner someone who is now known to the resistance as a traitor, and she lets her displeasure known with a punch. Stephanie attempts to chat with her old friend, but the former assassin is having none of it. The next day in the rec center, Cassandra is looking for a fight, approaching several former adversaries to garner any type of adverse reaction. Unfortunately, they all pass on the chance before Cass realizes that they've been forewarned by Steph to stay away. Cass finds Spoiler in the laundry room, and the two former Batgirls come to blow. During the melee, Steph, Steph slips the device into Cass's pocket, right before they're both taken out by a magistrate guard. They're both placed in solitary confinement, and minutes later, lunch is served, and Cass finds an earbud on her plate. She places it in her ear and finds Steph on the other end. She's jamming surveillance with the device she placed in Cass's pocket. Spoiler recites a passage from Book 5 of the Odyssey, and Cass realizes that she and Steph are both on the same side. Steph explains how her own mission was given to her by Nightwing after Oracle went missing, and how the person known by all as the traitor to the Resistance was actually still fighting the fight. Cass, in turn, explains why she allowed herself to get caught. There were rumors that Batman was still alive likely under the detention center. Little did they know, however, that Bruce wasn't beneath the detention center, but it was Barbara Gordon, unconscious and connected to wires, and subconsciously relaying the message that Batman was alive. The two devise a plan. The next day, the plan springs into action, with Steph convincing the inmates, both heroes and villains, to distract the guards. A riot is about to start. 
So I'm sure everyone knows that I, and Theo certainly as well, had really high expectations for this backup story because both of us are just huge fans of Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown. And we think that they really deserve some spotlight as Batgirls because both of them were really fantastic in that role and they've really struggled in uh, the roles they've held after they were Batgirl. I, I was disappointed, maybe because my expectations were really high, but I think that there are, are serious technical issues with this story that I don't think had to be the way it was. So let's start off with a question. Do you think the conflict between Steph and Cass is believable? I mean, I guess it depends on how it depends on how deep their relationship is in this universe, I guess. Cuz I feel like if they, you know, depended on each other and were bad girls together and fought crime together, I feel like there should be more of a benefit of the doubt i guess like whenever someone you love who is a superhero and has defied their father and and all this stuff suddenly goes rogue at no point does anyone think hmm, maybe they're being a double agent because that always seems to be the case because sudden their personality can't suddenly change for no reason i don't know it just seemed like cash should have had some idea that steph was being a double agent i don't know Maybe she doesn't watch as many movies and read as many books as I do. Well, that's something that's very frustrating because um, Cassandra Cain's one of her huge abilities. Uh, she's not a meta. She doesn't have superpowers. But she was trained from birth to read body language, not mm -hmm. verbal language. And so there's two real problems with the way that Cass was written in this story. The first is she's really chatty and very eloquent in a poetic way. And that's not Cass. Cass doesn't no. have that sense. The other Ew. thing is she can tell if people are lying. So she should be able yeah. to see from Steph's body language that she's not, that there's something more. Even if she can't tell exactly what's going on with Steph, she should be able to figure out that Steph is not this kind of bad girl that she's pretending to be. And she's completely clueless the whole time. And I think that was not well done. Yeah. So in case, in case nobody knows that was Ian channeling his inner Theo um, with, with his expression of disappointment. And, you know, my disappointment comes as a big fan of, Vida Ayala and a lot of her work, not only on the few Batman books, Batman stories that she's wrote, but her other works, either Independence or at Marvel. And, you know, the one thing that just truly, truly just irked me with with this story is her characterization of Cass and the voice that she gave to her, which she doesn't have a voice. It, it, it just, it was just too, it was somewhat, it was tough for me to swallow considering Cass's history, Cass's expertise, her knowledge and her training, you know, not just with what Batman has taught her. It was, it was really hard for me to accept that. And, it was a real letdown for me with this issue, or at least with this story. So I'm, I'm, I am not feeling it as of as of right now. And 
you know, again, I have I have a lot of respect for Ayala and I have a lot of high hopes that this somehow gets corrected, but I'm not sure if it'll happen when issue four comes out and we get the conclusion to this story. So I I'm I'm I can't I can't recommend this at all. So next question. Where do you think this plot line is going to go with Barbara Gordon, who we see a prisoner and sort of hooked up to this big machine, especially since we know from Nightwing, which we'll touch on in Greater Gotham, that she does get free? Unless that happens earlier. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's just a two-part story, right? I don't know if my expectations are too high. I think it's going to be mostly getting her out, and maybe she knows something exciting, I don't know, move the plot along or explain something else that happens in the future or in the past. I don't know. I I don't think the thing with Barbara is going to be that big a deal. Yeah, I'm 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 so turned off to the story right now. I'm not even sure that I'm concerned about, you know, Barbara's role in 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 this and how she gets out or if she gets out. Yeah, I I I don't know. It, there's only so much you can do in in two issues, especially when those issues are you know regular page numbers and you know not ex- expanded issues. So I'm not sure. We do know you know Barbara comes back at some point, but I'm not sure how it happens. I am hopeful that they rescue Barbara relatively soon because I really want this the second issue of this mini arc to kind of redeem the the wobbliness of this first issue and i think that a good interaction between barbara and stephanie and cassandra could go a long way in doing that i do like seeing pieces pop up in different places i think uh, we're going to get more information of course when we get uh, the next batman number four with the final issue of this story and of course uh, robin eternal number two which is the um final issue of Steph's first appearance in the future state. So I'm I'm excited to see how that ties together. But I, I really hope that we get some a shift in the characters so that they aren't playing parts and maybe their voices will be more consistent with what they've been like in their history, in their, their whole history. Uh, I am I am I am still I am still not certain of where in the future state timeline this is and i'm only saying that because i'm only saying that because in in the story we see that um croc is there and is in jail in in one of the the cells two faces um steph spoke to jefferson which i'm assuming is jefferson pierce aka black lightning so we don't know if if that happens before he becomes pure lightning or not. So I am still uncertain with where in the timeline this is. Yeah, Ivy appears to be there. It's a little hard. There's a few redheads in the prison cells. Like there's pretty much everyone is in these prison cells. So it makes it really hard to pinpoint. And didn't Steph say something about being in prison in Robin Eternal? No, I don't think so. I don't um think so. I think she 
sort of said that she retired or something. It was, I think, deliberately vague because here we have her revealing that her plan was actually something she devised with Nightwing um, mm-hmm. because she was feeling really distressed about all the changes and the, the lost people from Bruce to Barbara. Mm-hmm. So she really wanted to be active, and the only way she felt she could do that was by going undercover. Um but that brings me to my next question, which is, do you feel that Steph's plan to create a sort of network of alliances among the villains, including such really unredeemable villains like Mr. Zaz, um, who we've already seen in the Arkham Knights um, mm-hmm. backup? So that's a little confusing. Um, and heroes who are in jail. Uh, does that make sense to you? It was a little weird. One that so many are there. There is the thought of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So if heroes and villains want to work together to get the magistrate down, that is fine. But the fact that everyone's doing it for Steph, I don't know. She needs to have been really, really busy doing favors. And I don't want to know what kind of favors you have to do to get Mr. Zaz and Croc on your side. (laughs) Like... I don't know. It's a little weird that no one is suspicious that she's like friendly friends with literally everybody. It's just, I don't know. Overall, I would say it's it's a fine thing that makes sense because everyone wants to take out the magistrate. But the fact that they're all doing it for staff is it's a little weird. Yeah, it's it's part of it's part of the problem when you have these these short issue stories that that's only two issues or two chapters long, you know, there won't be enough time, I don't think, to see how this network of hers develops because it it, it it does seem that she has some influence over both sides, but both sides also, you know, still have an issue with her, you know, because some do refer to her as the traitor. And, and, and traitor was actually the name on both sides. So it, it it would be interesting to see how these relationships were cemented in the time that she was there. Well, that really brings me to one of my other criticisms, and this is that the decision to set 90% of this story in the prison in the current time frame rather than telling it from the beginning of the flashbacks. And I could see a lot of different ways you could do this. You could have it all from Steph's perspective as you see her, you know, making her plan with Nightwing and then getting into prison and forming those networks. That would, of course, remove the surprise, but I honestly don't think the surprise really had that much value in the story. I think it would have been just as good to see the miscommunication between Cass knowing what we know about Steph. Another thing is you could do a parallel storyline. You could have Cass and Steph with parallel adventures getting till they connect in prison. I don't think that this drawn-out misunderstanding between Cass and Steph really adds much to the story or their characters. And it really creates so many questions of plausibility that I think it was not worth the, the sense of turn that the twist about two-thirds of the way through added. So... I just think structurally this was a big mistake to set it in this time frame instead of having a longer time frame showing the different plans uh, coming to fruition that would have prevented a lot of these questions from coming to our minds when reading. Last question. Uh, Aniki is doing the art here. What do you think about the way she's portraying Stephanie, Cass, the one shot we have of Barbara, the prison? Uh, How does this story work for you visually? I 
think there was anything super exciting about it. I mean, it's, she just finds it's great. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But, I mean, one, like you said, it's mostly in prison. Everyone is just wearing prison uniforms the whole time. They're mostly just talking. <laughs> and Cass is trying to start fights. It really wasn't that exciting visually from just a storyboard standpoint. So there's only so much the artist can do. One thing I did kind of like was that every single story we read for this episode had a red and blue color palette. It went a little purple sometimes, but mostly it was red and blue. This one kind of did that too. But it was interesting seeing that it actually almost is a little bit of a rainbow. Like there's green pages, there's blue pages, there's purple pages, there's more green pages, there's yellow, orange. I don't know. It wasn't a feast for the eyes by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but it was interesting seeing at least that the, the colors were completely different for the most part than the other stories that we read. I I I was not familiar with Anike until this issue and and you know, I know she did a lot of work with Bombshells in the Bombshells run. Oh um, I like Bombshells. Yeah, so she did work there. It was okay. I mean Definitely not anything to cry home about, but it was definitely not anything, you know, to throw in file 13 either. You know, that that one panel, though, that one page with Babs, you know, tied down and, and you know, you mentioned the, the red palette, you know, and how she, you know, and how she drew in the colors that were laid out for that one particular panel was absolutely mm-hmm. stunning. That was probably the best page of the of the story for me. But it it was okay. I mean, again, it, it was decent work, but nothing to go Google Gaga over. No, I definitely agree about the barber page. Like, I was, oh, what's wrong? What's happening to Barbara? Is she okay? Like, she almost looked oracle all hooked up and stuff, but she's Barbara. I agree. I think that it was very appealing and cute art, um, very thick lines and nice designs, um, good expressions, but... I've seen her work before. She did one of the backups in Batgirl number 50 that you may or may not have heard me rant about if you listen to Batgirl to Oracle. Or you just don't care about that issue and you choose to forget it. This Mm -hmm. is the best way to deal with that issue. It was terrible. However, uh, her art was not the bad thing about it. Um, Actually, the art in general was not the bad thing about that issue. (laughs) Um, I want to end with one positive thing. I did really like the moment between Stephanie and Cassandra where Stephanie says, once a Batgirl, always a Batgirl. That was a really nice reminder that Stephanie and Cassandra were Batgirls, and in the hearts of their fans, they still are Batgirls. And I hope that DC is going to do something with that. Now, the solicitations for... Both March and April give us nothing with either Cassandra or Stephanie, uh, which is very disappointing. But given the fact that most of the solicitations we have for March and April are directly coming from future state teams, and given that this team does not seem to have a very strong handle on Stephanie and Cassandra, I am actually very okay with them taking a bit more time to try and either get a better handle or find a better team for this particular um, group of characters. So, a little bit of positive stuff from me at the end of this review. 
Let's move would on. Would you be upset? Would you be upset if I said I thought that line was corny? It is corny, <laughs> but compared to most of the other lines, it was just much better. Let's move on to the final story in the next Batman, which is Gotham City Sirens. Gotham City Sirens, Ladies Night Out, written by Paula Sevenbergen, art by Emanuela Lupacino. Outside of Dilton Luxury Tech, a protest is brewing. Inside, however, something more sinister is going on as Catwoman and Poison Ivy go through the trinkets and items throughout the building. They have a new partner with them, a domestic droid they pin DD. She is distracted at the sight of another d- domestic droid that looks like she does. They're startled by the security alarms and know it's time to go. As they make their escape, Selena sees things getting out of hand below as the guards begin to go after the protesters with shock batons. She's having none of it and springs into action, taking on the aggressive officers. Didi arrives in an unusual manner but does her part to assist before Ivy makes her presence known as well. They get the advantage of things before Magistrate Cybers arrive, causing the sirens to take their leave. A while later, the three sirens arrive at an above-ground, underground club by all masks in Gotham, run by none other than Slam Bradley. After a few drinks, small talk, and some flirting, they reminisce on the night they met Dee Dee and how she became a part of the team. Dee Dee leaves, however, after seeing news that her creator is getting married. She reveals to her new friends that she has feelings for Dilton and how she now just feels like a youth experiment. After talking things over, the three head out to the dance floor. But the fun doesn't last. The cybers have arrived, guns are blazing. They shoot several inside the club, including Selena. So, does Selena's character uh, seem consistent with what we saw in the Catwoman issue uh, this week? Um, I think, so as, as Thea was rereading it, I think I read it with a little more focus. Because I think I was really distracted by her really ugly sunglasses that she wears for no reason. Because it's nighttime. And uh, her super skanky top with the cargo pants, which is not a Selena thing to wear. But <laughs> um, rereading it, that it, these are all things that Selena would do. She protects the innocent. It was an older guy that was being attacked when she decided to go protect the protesters. Uh, she's nice to slam. She hangs out with her friends. She's distracted by shiny things. Like these are all these are all Selena things. I don't know if it's fair to compare it to the Catwoman book, uh, the Future State Catwoman book. Because that is Selena in, like, go-go business mode the entire time. Whereas this, I mean, it's just her being relaxed most of the time. Even even in an intense situation, she's still having fun. So I don't know if it's fair to compare the two. But I don't think it's too out of her character for the things she does. Things she's wearing are just horrible. And Selena Kyle would never wear these things. Anyway. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 there are bits and pieces that are similar uh, when you when you when you look at the two, 
but the voice Ram B gives her in the future state book is is really different, and uh, and it would be tough to say that. Yeah, these 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 two ladies in these two books are actually the same person. Yeah, Selena's just in 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 the Catwoman book. She's just all about business and the voice is just totally different than what we're seeing here. I will be upfront and say, I thought this story was really bad. It was very clunky. Um, very shallow. Well, you didn't ask that. You didn't ask. If you would have asked me that, I would have said this book, I would have easily said this was terrible. My review said that the only good thing about it was the art. Everything else was Terrible. You asked me about Selena. Yeah. <laughs> well, you will get your chance. Um, I am glad that Steph had such a well-reasoned and thoughtful and tolerant answer about Selena, because <laughs> I think that Selena was written orders of magnitudes more shallowly than Ram V wrote her in Catwoman. And I really wish that Catwoman had been the backup here. <laughs> Emmanuel Lupacino does a good job with the art, but as Steph says, the designs are bad. And, um... Oh, Ivy's outfit is just what are those giant pink pasties on her fishnet top? I mean, who would wear that? And (laughs) this is completely in line with what I expected because I did the review for Catwoman, which was written by Paula Sevenberger, which was just as obsessed with, for some reason, cleaning... Uh, domestic labor and just skanky exploitative stuff. Um, and there's nothing wrong with some sexy art or women looking beautiful, but this is just skeezy. It does not, it does not seem like thoughtful or even very much fun. Um, so I, I will release my co-hosts to give their true opinion on this story. It was definitely the weakest, 100%. I think I think I did enjoy it a little bit, especially after cuz uh, the 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 droid actually hacked me off at first, but then when I got to know her backstory a little bit, her her voice made a little more sense and the her dialogue and stuff like that. It actually ended up being a little cute cuz like basically her world knowledge is based off of like early 2000s HBO television. <laughs> so that actually was a little cute. But uh, yeah, it was weak. I didn't quite understand what they were doing or why they were doing it. And I didn't care. And yeah, it's just like they said, ladies, ladies night out, let's go to the party and get Slam Bradley murdered. I mean, whatever. But I don't know. There was no heavy emotional investment on my part. Maybe, maybe I am. Maybe I am spoiled by past Gotham City Siren stories. This was not. And, you know, this story probably could have made the entire issue, the rating I gave this entire issue, even less than what I did. Uh, I, 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 I just, there wasn't, much of anything outside of the art that I enjoyed with this. I'm I'm not looking forward to the second part, although I just want to be sure that Slam survives. Yeah, th- this could have been 
this could have been a two-story issue and it would have been perfectly fine. No disrespect to Paula, but I, I just did not feel this at all. So let's give our rating for the overall, all three stories of the next Batman number two out of uh, three faceless Batman masks. Uh, out of five? Yeah, out of five faceless out Batman five. masks. Um, I, oh, I guess a two and a half. Um, the two backups were just so weak. They really didn't do anything. They didn't do the, the story any favors. So I'm going to have to give it a two and a half. Although there's nothing wrong with the Batman story. It was fine. I liked that one a lot. I I gave it a three in my review on the website. Um, but as I as I mentioned here, the, the, the siren story was so weak, so bad, I probably could have gone to two and a half like Steph did. But I will stand by my original rating of a three. The main Batman story is good enough that I'm not willing to drop it below a 2.5, but the other two stories really do drop it down. I do not think it was more than average overall, and I was very disappointed because the first issue was much stronger, especially with the Outsiders backup and the main story with the Nick Darrington art. So I really hope that the next few issues will bring it back up. Let me do a couple of intermission stuff so we would love to know what you our audience thinks about this podcast please give us some comments on twitter or leave us a review on itunes or stitcher we read all our comments and feedback we unfortunately did not get any this week so we can't read it but um, if you send us an email at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net or on our Discord server, which you can join if you go to thebatmanuniverse.net and there's a Discord link. It's very easy to join. We have lots of good conversations there. Let us know what you think of Future State, uh, the second half of our first month. Uh, there are going to be four episodes covering Future State. So let us know what you think of Episode 2 uh, and the issues we cover therein. What was your favorite story? And with that... We're going to move on to our second review, which is Dark Detective number two, starting with the Dark Detective story. Titled A Sign, written by Marco Tamaki, art by Dan Mora. In the present, Batman fights cybers, seen in Robin Eternal, giant mechanical soldiers, in a warehouse. In the past, Bruce Wayne desperately fights Peacekeeper O1 using a dead body in the water to trick the magistrate's head soldier into thinking he died. In the present, after defeating the Cybirds, we see Bruce's current living arrangements with paranoid anti-magistrate Gothamites. His current obsession is identifying Peacekeeper 01, and goes on a patrol on one of the three megacorporations in the pocket of the magistrate. He triggers a massive drone attack and flees on his motorbike. He realizes that Wayne Tech's cloaked micro-drones are being used against him as his landlord breaks his TV, believing that the magistrate is everywhere, which is true. So, first question. Do you buy Bruce's ability to fake his death? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he does it all the time. <laughs> He's old hat, right? That's the... That's fine. Yeah. Sure. Every day. That's what he does. That was not... Yeah, I didn't have a problem with that at all. I, I didn't have a, a problem with it either. I think in the end, what 
we're going to find out is that Peacekeeper One is the way he is because he probably knows that Bruce isn't dead and that he didn't kill him. Now, if you if you read Catwoman, you would know that Uh, they know he's alive. But we're going to take that out, right, Steph? Yeah, not going to spoil it. (laughs) No spoilers. (laughs) No spoilers. Yeah, but I, I think Bruce faking his death is, you know, as simple as him changing clothes every day. Uh, so I, I, I don't have any issues with that. But I think I think in the end, what's going to come down is um, Peacekeeper 1 is going to realize the, his status as the head honcho is, has an asterisk on it because he, he didn't do what he actually claimed he did. So what are the strongest element of this story, um, the detective comic story, for you? I really like the art, and I like just seeing how resourceful Bruce is. Like, Bruce doesn't need a million-dollar gadget in every pocket to help him out of every situation. Like, he's he is resourceful. He can find a way on, on his own. And I just... I, I do like this different side of him and seeing him in, in this situation where he has to he has to be resourceful and he's he's working with a crazy guy who ends up probably being a little more on point about surveillance than you would imagine. And I don't know. I, I like it. Like there isn't too much of a story here, but it's just what is Bruce going through and how did he get where he is and what is he doing? And I, I enjoyed that. I care. I want an update on my favorite former billionaire. So I am, I'm, I'm happy with the story, even though it isn't, there isn't much of a beginning, middle, end. It's just more of a status quo. But I don't, I don't mind that. It's told well, and that's fine. That's good. I think, um, and I say that as the box have all of a sudden crashed on me. I think. The best part of what I'm seeing with Tamaki's story is kind of what Tynion is beginning to do in his Batman run. And what we're seeing is more of a Bruce that may have been seasoned by his time living in Gotham proper, uh, compared to being away in Wayne Manor. You know, he's 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 using tactics that he might not have always used as billionaire Wayne Manor Bruce Wayne, but now as millionaire in the city Bruce Wayne. And I'm okay with that. It it, it it's is very good writing, and that was something I picked up on um, as I was reading this a second time to prep for the to prep for the uh, for the recording. And that's that's what's really sticking out to me is is how Bruce is Batman without being Batman. He's a different type of Batman because of his time on the streets of Gotham. Yeah, I think that this. As Steph said offline, that um, these two issues have kind of been 
setting the stage rather than being a really tight and complicated storyline. There certainly are things that are happening. So it's not that nothing's happening, but most of what's going on is really just setting the stage, what it's like in Gotham. And I really like that, especially since most of it's done through Tamaki's quite good evocative voice for Bruce's narration and through the gorgeous illustration of Dan Mora. I can't remember who did colors, but I, I think it was Jordi Belair. Uh, and it's really gorgeous coloring as well. I, I'm i definitely looking forward to this um, just because seeing what's going on with Bruce is really cool, even though we don't yet know how it connects to the other things going on in the future state Gotham. Although I did mention that the um, the cybers are something that Tim Drake was fighting in Robin Eternal. So there are some connections, but we still don't quite know how the past and present timelines of this story tie into, for example, the next Batman or, or these other stories. Any other thoughts on Dark Detective number two before we move on to Red Hood? Do, do you think... Do you think this voice that she's using continues into March once Future State is over? I hope so. I really like it. I I think it's a it's a good voice. In fact, I was just thinking about that. It's like, why am I? Why are we being so hard on all the other stories? And this one is just not even a story, and we we seem to like it. It's because it's, it's fun about, to read. It's about the voice. It's about the delivery. It's like you could be reading me a starbucks menu but as long as your voice is good and you're making it moderately interesting i will listen to you read me a starbucks menu <laughs> i, I do think and, it's so well told and, and 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 let me just say and you know those who read the reviews know that i typically am the the detective comics reviewer but when future state was announced you know I was willing to fight Scott to do the next Batman because I was interested in seeing, you know, John Ridley's take on the character. And right now, as of now, it's not bad. But I also had interest in in the backup stories. And, oh, it's just it's just has been night and day when you compare what's being done in the next Batman with what's being done and detective and and you'll see it's pretty much the same when we get to the the red hood backup but again i i've i've been a fan of tamaki since she did her she hulk run at marvel and you know i hope this voice that she's giving to bruce in these four issues of dark detective continues once she moves over to the main book and in March because it's, it's been, it's been great thus far. And I just can't believe this is the same person who gave us Mr. T. Ah, stop mentioning that. Ugh. All right. So I'm going to move on <laughs> to um, red hood. First issue of two backups by Josh Williamson as writer and Giannis Milona Giannis on art. Uh, this part is called mask alert. Jason Todd, the Red Hood, wakes up next to Ravager, Rose Wilson, daughter of Deathstroke, with an alert on his phone about a mask for, from the Magistrate. He suits up, chases the vigilante down, and brings them alive to Blackgate Max. He sees a body come in courtesy of Ravager, 
then gets another alert that a vigilante wearing the pillbox helmet of the original Red Hood is robbing a supply transport. Heading off on his high-tech motorbike, civilians rage at him, saying, Batman lives. Jason investigates another supply truck in the Narrows and stakes out a claim in a bar nearby, provoking some local toughs to attack him. But Ravager arrives, beating them down before he reacts. Rose speaks cheerfully of her lethal methods, but Jason refuses to play, even though he also refuses to leave her. He heads off with the phone of one of the toughs, knowing that they were working for the new Red Hood, and finds the mask unpacking the food he stole to give to civilians. He gives chase, telling the Hood that he won't hurt him, but Ravager arrives, cutting him in half. Jason notices that the Red Hood's helmet is actually Mad Hatter technology, and Ravager rides along with him to tell him where the last Hatter hideout was. They find Hatter's skeleton with a hole through his skull, and then a reward goes out for Jason himself. How do you react to Jason and Rose's characterization and relationship in this issue? Uh, This was... I don't know. I had mixed feelings on this one. I like I like seeing Jason with a female. I think that's healthy for him. I don't know if Ravenger is healthy for him. <laughs> he's a total jackass. Like, he's his worst boyfriend ever. But then she's also, you know, a serial killer. So not, not top-notch quality herself. Um, I don't understand why, for, for, why these masks are allowed to work for the magistrate, especially without, like, super awful magistrate outfits on i don't know it seems a little weird that they're allowed to just wear their normal gear and work for the magistrate i think that's hypocritical and stupid and doesn't make sense based on every single person who's arrested by the magistrate especially people who don't wear masks like ivy and catwoman don't wear masks and they're being hunt anyway whatever whatever it's it's <sighs> the character i don't know ravenger that well but, I mean, I feel like Jason, he didn't kill anyone, so that's nice, I guess. But, I don't know. I couldn't feel this story. Like, it's not that I didn't get into it, but I just couldn't. Jason was just so standoffish and such a jerk. I just didn't like him. Yeah, in this in this universe, for me, Jason should only be with Artemis. <laughs> um, yeah, Artemis. Artemis. But seeing where, seeing the roles that they, the voices that they're given to these characters, you know, not necessarily a good cop, bad cop type of thing, but more of a, uh, I'll just say a Batman Punisher relationship where one will take you down and the other will take you out. So the thing was kind of weird. Jason's voice reminded me a little bit of his voice in Outlaws, you know, somewhat of a jackass, but still with enough of Bruce's touch to not make him a a Ravenger. But seeing these two together outside of Unkillables and and the, the deceased line was a little weird, uh, so I have to see how this one this one ends up. I 
liked seeing Jason and Ravager in Deceased Unkillables. I thought that was a fun relationship, and I think that's where Williamson got the idea to put these two together. I've been a big fan of Ravager since even before Rebirth. Um, I liked her in the Teen Titans backups by Sean McKeever called Ravager Fresh Hell. I actually just got the trade, but I read it in single issues quite a while ago. Ravager's a very complicated character. She's always been really torn between her dad and wanting to be a hero. She wanted to be uh, a Teen Titan. She was trained by Nightwing. She worked with Tim Drake. And she just has both good and evil warring within her. And Christopher Priest did that masterfully in the 50 issues of Deathstroke, and she was one of the best characters in that run. However, this Ravager has just given in to her bloodthirsty side, and I really don't like that. I think it's very flat. And I, I don't like And that it was too comedic to me. Yeah. Or, or at least attempting to be. Exactly. <laughs> and I... I just don't like flattening her character that much. Um, and I think that it does Jason a disservice. I don't think he would really be on board with someone who's that cold about killing. What did you think about the ideas thrown out in this story? So you have the idea of bounty hunters working as contractors for the magistrate. Um, a lot of people were saying that Jason was going to be one of the peacekeepers. And I knew that wasn't the case because he had this story uh, and he's interacting with the peacekeepers here. We also have the mystery of who's trying to frame Jason. We have the Mad Hatter technology that's creating masks for them to chase down. And you have, you know, the, the people of Gotham who are not getting supplies given to them uh, in a way that keeps them happy and fed. There's a lot of ideas in this story. What do you think about those and how the story handles them? I, uh, I don't know. It's like I've said a few times, like I, I'm good story, bad story, good, good stuff, bad stuff. If the voice, if I don't like the voice, I'm not, I'm not going to care about the story. So I am kind of interested in where it's going to go because I like Jason, but it's just really turning me off. Both both he and Ravager are just kind of turning me off. So I, I have hope because maybe we just caught them on a bad day. I mean, it's only been a few hours and he's working for the magistrate. I guess I wouldn't be in a good mood either, right? But I don't know. I have hope. I think it could be interesting. It, the, the elements are interesting, but I I am dubious. Yeah, I'm not going to go too much farther from from what Steph is mentioning, at least from a a negative aspect, but just in observing things and just observing things across all of future state, you know. Ian mentioned, you know, the, the the trials and tribulations of the Gothamites. And we can see not just from this issue, but from the other other books as well, you know, that these peacekeepers, this 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 mayor, you know, doesn't really seem to give a hoot about you know, the people of Gotham. You have the wastelands and you have the, the knights trying to protect them there, and then you have the the magistrate soldiers mistreating the the people of Gotham here. It's it's then you have the train full of children with the strays and Catwoman. Um, you know what's going on with Nakano that he's he's gone down this path. I think that's what keeps this overall story together. And I'm interested to see how it ends and uh, if we can just you know, tone it down with the 
attempts at making comedy where comedy isn't needed, I think we'll, we can have a, a good story. Unless, of course, uh, next issue you bring back Artemis and she takes out Ravager. Well, Ravager getting taken out would make me sad, but this version of Ravager definitely ain't great. I think that there's a lot of complexity and a lot of ideas, and I hope that the second issue of this deals with at least three of them, because a lot of them just have a lot of story potential. Um, But I'm worried that it'll just sort of touch on them rather than deal with them in a satisfying way. So I'm eager to to read uh, the next story in this, which will be in Dark Detective number four uh, in two episodes. And uh, we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. But right now, I'm kind of mixed. I do have a question that just popped into my head. What do you what do you guys think caused Jason to work for the magistrate compared oh. to compared to being an outlaw as as his brethren are at this I time? Wonder if he was recruited. I wonder if they had enough intel to know that that Batman and you know Red Hood have a bit of a bad blood thing sometimes it seems a little odd that he would approach them and they would take him seriously so i wonder if it is like an undercover thing like like steph i wonder yeah i agree i think that he's got he he keeps talking about work and i think that that's actually a, a cover story for his true mission we hear all this stuff about batman lives and we know from catwoman that bruce wayne is around at least during some point of this timeline so um spoilers <laughs> yeah so I, I think that there is a lot going on. Um, so let's give a rating out of uh, five motorbikes. How many motorbikes would you give Dark Detective number two? I see the potential in the Red Hood story. And like I said, I'm really liking Tamaki's voice for Batman or for, for Bruce. So I think I would give it a three and a half overall. Three and a half for me as well. I am also giving it a three and a half, so uh, that is an easy average to make. Um, Do we know what Scott gave it this week? Gave it a three and a half. Look at that. Great minds. (laughs) We are all indeed great minds. (laughs) That brings us to an end of our main review section. We now are going to turn to Greater Gotham, which we've been referring to across the board. Um, first issue in Greater Gotham that we want to talk about is Nightwing, and that has art by Nicola Scott. What did you think about this story? It sets up a meeting between Dick Grayson and Tim Fox as Batman, and they gear up for a final confrontation against the forces of the Magistrate in Arkham Asylum. I, I think I liked this one. I think it started a little, not weak, but sort of dull but it i i did like it i mean it has it has dick taking his shower which is always a good thing and it has him and tim teaming up uh or jace whatever batman uh and, and yeah i thought it, it not not oodles happens but i think overall i did enjoy that one yeah i i enjoyed it too i think it it, it sets up a lot uh the, the one thing I just can't get with, if there is one negative to this, I can't get used to that chin strap on that Dick oh, wears yeah. with his mask. That's just 
They seem Weird. to give that to Nightwing a lot in like future type stories. It just looks weird. Get rid of it. But it, it, it's definitely going to be fun to see him and him and Jace take so take on the magistrate inside the walls of Arkham Asylum and and see how that that turns out. It's going to be like Batman and Robin, only Robin is the older, more experienced one in this case. I think that's kind of fun. There was one thing I wasn't crazy about, and, and I haven't. I'm I'm not reading all of the the Future State Batman books, but. I, I am a little disappointed that Peacekeeper One was revealed here, and he doesn't seem to be anyone of of importance, other than you know the guy that killed Batman. So if there was one negative, it's that. I thought this was a fun issue. Uh, my personal theory right now is this is going to be the end of the timeline because you have Nightwing and Batman facing off against Peacekeeper One. So there's like this big epic conflict set up. Um, we'll have to see if Dark Detective or the next Batman actually have anything after this. But that's my personal theory about the timeline. Uh, I did like the art. I agree the chin strap isn't a great design, but I'm a fan of Nicholas Scott, so I thought it looked pretty cool even with that. And if it's the end, it really did do well in showing and telling just how tired Nightwing is. Like, I'm just so sick of all this. Like, I know they've they've tracked me here. I'm fine with it. I took a shower. I smell nice. Like. Let it come on. Bring it on. I'm just I'm just so tired. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I thought it was a good build-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, next piece from Greater Gotham uh, is Catwoman. And this is by Ram V with art by Otto Schmidt. This was a gorgeous issue and really tightly written. Very cool use of technology in this cyberpunk setting. And surprise reveals about Talia al Ghul and Bruce Wayne being alive and transported on a train. That I thought this was a really excellent issue. What do you guys think? it too i don't think i was crazy about the whole thing it was exciting i mean it's like a train heist thing and there's timing and special gadgets and getting on the train um blah 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 uh but that final reveal i actually was pretty pretty on board and excited about that like just talia showing up being disguised as someone else and and her wanting to save bruce and it doesn't seem like catwoman knows bruce is there and uh, i'd never met onomatopoeia before he's a little silly but he seems very strong (laughs) but um overall that was that was a fun ride and i i mean that unironically i love this issue otto smith is a great artist and ram v has me true believer he is he is approaching tom taylor fandom level with me right now uh to where you know you could put him on anything and i will likely pick it up i know he's been doing uh great on just uh, justice league dark and i've heard good things about what he's doing with the uh the swamp thing future state series enough to where he's getting uh, another series after this is over, uh, but this was this was just absolutely great with the, with especially with the reveal at the end, uh, which again, you know, kind of makes me believe that this story is somewhere towards the end of the timeline of Future State with Bruce being captured and guarded on the train heading to parts unknown with the rest of the strays. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Ram V and this this 
only continues my fandom of him. I agree. I just thought it was so well done with the tension and the plotting. Everything was tight and cool, and it just was really fun to read in a way that made you feel smart rather than having to turn your brain off to, to understand what's going on or to enjoy what's going on. Which was more of a shock the, the, for you all, the Bruce Wayne reveal or the Talia reveal? They were both equal. They like, were equal shocks for me. Oh, and really yeah. good ones, too. Like, they were the kind of shocks that make you go, oh, yeah. Because when Talia's were, around, you never know, like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is she, is she after her beloved to save him? Is she going to stab him in the back again? Ugh, you just never know with her. Well, I, I am I am somewhat of a Talia fan. And the they were both shocks. The Talia reveal was more of a shock for me. But I don't know. Reading this would make me kill for a Talia Catwoman team up. <laughs> D- that, would, <laughs> that would be awesome to see. I mean, they can go to blows like they did in Tom King's run mm-hmm. from time to time. And then once they're done, go out and, and, kick ass you know the talia's reveal was really really took me back in a good way you know the, the bruce reveal wasn't as much because again you know we know from dark detective that he's alive so you know the fact that we see him now being captured um by the magistrate is a shock but not as much of a shock as seeing talia and selena uh, teaming up to rescue him. I disagree a little. Well, it's not disagree. I, I have my own opinion, which is I have the one thing about this whole futures thing state thing that's just been pissing me off is there's not been any Catwoman seeking Batman and no Batman seeking Catwoman. It's like <laughs> not even like 30 seconds together, like are mentioning each other. Well, I guess she does mention him in, in the Catwoman book. But the fact that he's in a Catwoman book or in the Catwoman book just makes me so happy. Yes, I agree. That's that's why they were equal for me, because all of the characters are in place for just such a great uh, finale. And I, I really mm-hmm. hope that it pays off. I think we got a really good Future State Greater Gotham section. Um, The other two pieces we have are out of universe. Uh, Technically, this whole thing is out of universe. But um, the first (laughs) one is Batman Catwoman number two by Tom King and Clay Mann. Catwoman wins and kills the Joker. Um, (laughs) Or does she? I'm pretty sure he's dead. Um, We also have... Finally. I think she could come back in the past and, and, and kill him again. We have the Phantasm chasing after Joker's goons and Joker himself. And in a very animated series type of thing, uh, the Joker turns himself into Batman for protection against Phantasm. For me, Batman Catwoman is really going to be a slow burn. Yeah. Just because there's so many little pieces that have to be Mm -hmm. sort of set into place. And with this three timeline thing, uh, it's going to take even longer than even a normal 12-issue miniseries usually takes quite a while to get everything in place. I'm enjoying the ride so far. I mean, certainly the art is just phenomenal with uh, Clayman mm-hmm. and Tomu Mori just killing it. Yeah, this is definitely going to require a sit-down and reread, maybe even a reread in parts. <laughs> like, you only read certain parts in order. Like reading then, it in chron- chronological order? Yeah, like trying to figure out how to read it in, in chronological order. But, yeah, it's going to be fun. I am I am definitely reading this for the art right now, and that's not to say anything 
you know, bad about Tom King, but, you know, when it comes to these maxi series, th- th- this is kind of the style that he, he does. There's this slow burn that eventually will pick up into his crescendo and, I'm okay with that. Um, I will most definitely give it another go once the series is done. But oh god, this this artist to kill for Clay Man is just—he's so good. I, I was very upset when I didn't get a chance to meet him when he came to New Orleans a few years ago uh, for Alcon. But oh, his art is so good. Yeah, and he's a really nice guy. I had a chance to meet him at Baltimore. No, not Baltimore. Uh, awesome Con in DC, and he was really nice and signed a ton of my covers, including uh, I think Batman Eternal, like number thirty-two, which is actually a Batman and Catwoman cover, and so I count that as the first official Batman Catwoman cover by Clay Mann. Last issue for Greater Gotham is uh, White Knight presents Harley Quinn, uh, number four. This is the continuing adventures of Harley Quinn after the events of White Knight, uh, Curse of the White Knight. It's a smaller story than the first two White Knight stories because it focuses only on one killer rather than all the villains together. But I really like the texture it gives to Harley's life. And there's some flashbacks to her life with Joker before the White Knight series uh, Mm -hmm. that give you some classic Batman action. And Mateo Scalera's art is – it's phenomenal. It's just – these um, Black Label looks, Batman, Catwoman, and White Knight, Harley Quinn, are giving us such top-tier Batman art. It is worth checking both of them out for that alone. I, I completely agree. I've really been enjoying the Harley, the White Knight Harley stories. Her relationship with Bruce is pretty cute. I think this is the weakest one for me in the series so far. Uh, the art, I mean, you just pick it up because of the art. It's gorgeous. Um, and it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, it's it was a little daytime television melodrama for me in this issue in particular, and, and just certain aspects of it. But yes, I, I totally agree. The riches, it enriches Harley's existence. It's, her kids are so cute. I get a heavy um, Dustin Wynn. I get a heavy Dustin Wynn vibe especially of from the kids. So it's just delightful all the way around. Yeah, I, I am still in, enjoying this. Um, you know, Sean Murphy, you know, this universe that he's created with uh, the White Knight universe has just been great. And, you know, Collins have, have done a, a good job in, in, you know, scripting this story out and putting it together with him. But, you know, Stephen Ian has both mentioned the art that Scalera is doing, and it is absolutely stunning. And there really isn't that much difference between between Scalera's art and how Murphy did the art in uh, the first two volumes of The White Knight. They're, They're pretty similar, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a very complimentary style, so it feels like it's in the same universe, and that's a really big plus. All right. As I said before, we would love to hear what you think about this episode and these issues. Please reach out to us at our email or our Twitter, or leave comments on the website. I think they're still up for a bit. 
I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, we do have a new feature on our sponsor or support page where you can go through our links to give us a little bit of commission money whenever you make a purchase. If you like to buy your comics through Amazon or you like to buy Lego Batman uh, or Comixology or a bunch of other nerd-related online retailers, we have a bunch of affiliate links which can help us out and won't cost you any more. We also have our Patreon, and people who are at our contributor level are Gerald Green, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Rob O, Real No Deuces, Tim Garassi, Robert Lewis, Stephanie Mounts, Donovan Morgan Grant, Stanton's Grave, Donald Townsend, Ed Grouse, Theodis Wright, Hannah Gar, Captain America, Mary Garrett, Austin Davis, Johnny McCloskey, and Brendan Roberts. Thank you all for helping us keep the Batman universe on the internet and our episodes coming to you from all different kinds of podcast services. Join us in two weeks for Future State Episode 3. In the meantime, I have been Ian and I have my co-hosts. This is Steph. And this is Theo. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. The the last two, the two, uh, brain fart. The two addendum stories? What are those called? Second story. <laughs> Dang it. I Backups. Backups, thank you. I gotta forget at least one word every week. Backups.